So today we're going to continue on in our, our, our series in the Gospels. We're going to look at a parable today. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. I wasn't sure today with so much going on, I wasn't sure if we're going to do a sermon or not. Then I realized this one was up next, and this one's, it's only three slides. So, I mean, that doesn't mean it'll be quick, but I hope well, it's three slides. So hopefully it'll be pretty quick. The, the parable is not hard. I think some, some parables Jesus tell, and of course a parable is a story that is for didactic, for teaching purposes. A parable does not have to be true. You've heard it before, where you've, heard, you've, you've read a devotion, you've heard a preacher talk, and they make a story up about little Billy and little Susie in, in Sunday school, and it's not, it's, it, the whole point of the story is to teach us something. Now, this story is, is fairly realistic. It's not like it couldn't have happened. But remember, the story is not the story we're worried so much about. It's the point. Jesus is telling this story, this parable, to give us a point. So that's what we're going to focus on at the end is what was the point. So I'm going to read the story. I know this first slide is really small, so I apologize, but I'll read it to you. We're in Matthew 20. This is the NIV, and I'm going to start in verse 1. It says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. The benefit of living in an agricultural-based community is this, isn't, this concept isn't hard, though you're not harvesting grapes in a vineyard. We know that at harvest time, whether it's onions or sugar beets, I'll, when you have to cut hay, I'm sorry, Bruce, I didn't mean to get you all fired up. I know those all bring back memories of every, all your life. We know it's all hands on deck. And remember, this is a time and place before electricity. So you have from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun comes down to get the work done. After that, what are you going to do? There's not, you, you, you can't work. So generally speaking, 12-hour days was during harvest time for them, and they worked when this, as soon as the sun was up, as soon as the sun went down, they were done because that's all they could do, right? No equipment with lights on them, none of that. So what's going on is the man who owns a vineyard needs extra hands for harvest. He has his employees, farm workers that he uses throughout the year to take care of the vineyard. Harvest time comes, and what happens? I don't care what crop it is, whether it's grapes or sugar beets or what, when it's time to harvest, it's time to harvest. It's got to come out of the field, and it's got to come out of the field right now. We don't have time to sit and play. So he goes to, to a gathering's place to hire people, and he goes first part, nine in the morning, so people have been working a couple hours at this point, hires them, goes back out again, noon, more people staying there, hires them, three, hires them, five o'clock, now there's not much time left in the day at this point, there's still people working, he needs everyone he can, so he hires them, and he hires them on the idea that he will pay them in verse four, whatever is right, and they trust they trust him enough to go, okay, I haven't negotiated this, but I'm assuming he's going to be fair. He's going to pay us what's fair. The people who had been out there all day were going to get a denarius, which is a coin that in this time and place was worth a day's wages. And day laborers got paid every day. Every day, they, they lived on that. That was their survival. Okay, so you paid them every day during the harvest time. You didn't pay them on Friday. Every single day they got paid because that's what they lived on. That's, what they, that's how they survived. And so 
These people, the 9 o'clock, the noon, the threes, the five, are probably assuming they're going to get paid less than the person who was there all day. That's a pretty safe assumption. But it's an assumption. And the assumptions are dangerous. That word spells some things, by the way, if you've ever seen the word assume spelled out. Let's continue the story. In verse 8. When evening came, work's done, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now remember, this is a parable, and Jesus is teaching a point. If you run a business, I would suggest you do this opposite, because you're going to see paying the people who came last first is going to cause a bit of a problem. Okay? So I would, if you're, if you're not wanting everyone to know what everyone's getting paid, I had to switch this, because everyone knew what the people who have been there all day were supposed to get paid. But Jesus does this for a reason. Okay, so the people who came, the guy who worked, started at 5 o'clock, who worked only probably a couple hours, is going to get paid first in front of everybody else, and then he's going to go down the list until the people who've been there all day, they'll get paid last. So verse 9 says this. The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Denarius, we were told, was negotiated for people who'd been there all day. So if you see a person who's only worked a couple hours and they get a denarius, which is a day's wage, and you've been there all day, what are you thinking? I'm probably going to get a little more, right? If I've been here all day, these guys worked two, three hours, and this is what they got, and I'm here, I was here the entire day, I'm probably going to get paid more. Now, you negotiated in your collective bargaining agreement. You negotiated. Union people are nodding. That's just a joke, okay? They had negotiated, though, a denarius. That's what they were told. You go work all day, you get a denarius. But watching this happen, you're thinking to yourself, well, man, I'm, I'm clearly going to get more. I worked nine, eight more hours than them today. Hot, dusty. The assumption is, man, I, am, I might get four times what they just got paid. Because I worked four times the hours. It's not how the story goes. Verse 10, so when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. So what happens is he pays everybody, whether they were the 5 o'clocker, the 3 o'clocker, the noon, the 9, all day, they're all going to get paid the same. And to no one's surprise, people who've been there all day are going to throw a fit. Well, hang on here. And if you've ever had, if you have children, this word appears all the time. Well, that's not, you knew it already. That's not fair. Here's our life lesson for the day. Life's not fair. It's not fair. And when they received it, we learn in verse 11, they began to grumble. They, they grumbled, not to themselves, they didn't grumble, they grumbled against the landowner. Now, this is a dangerous thing to do. And the reason it's a dangerous thing to do is he doesn't have to hire them again. You got paid what I told you, you would get paid. We had negotiated it. I mean, so who are they going to go complain to? I mean, you can complain all you want. If, if you've ever been on the internet, you know that, right? You can complain and complain and complain. What's it going to do? I, generally, nothing. Nothing. One of the things I had to get used to 
when I became a commissioner is every d week someone's going to call you and complain about something. Now, when you fix something, not a peep, right? Things are going good, quiet. But as soon as something bad happens or the road didn't get plowed or something happens, guess what starts to happen? Your phone just starts buzzing. And it's complaints. And it's always complaints. Because it turns out we are a bunch of complainers. We got that down. We're great at that. There's not a person I've ever met that can't complain with the best of them. We love to boo-hoo and whine. It's one of our favorite activities. But what do they have to complain about? They got paid the wage they were told they were going to get paid. Now, they made an assumption that, well, so maybe I'm going to get more. Now, so, but that's them. That's the, they made, you got paid exactly what I told you you were going to get paid. Their complaint, of course, in verse 12 well, those who were hired last worked only an hour, they said. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now, you can say it's not fair. Sure, it's not fair. It's not fair that I didn't get paid more than them. Well, it's what I told you you'd get paid. Look how the landowner responds in verse 13. But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. It's a great response, by the way. I don't want to look at your face anymore. So why don't you take what I gave you, which was fair, and you go home. There's some wisdom in that, by the way. Sometimes we engage in the conversation. Sometimes you probably shouldn't. You see the post on Facebook that makes you mad. Just put the phone down. Don't get on there and make a comment. It's, you're not going to win. I learned this a, quite a while ago. You can't convince stupid people they're stupid on the Internet. It's not going to happen, right? It isn't going to work. You can try all you want, right? That's not the time and place. That's not. They're probably being stupid just because they're stupid, and that's what they like to do. And so they're going to say something stupid on the Internet. You're not going to change their mind. You're not going to fix them. Don't try. It's going to be a, a gigantic waste of your time and energy and your effort. And then you're just going to be frustrated at home and they're in their mom's basement just eating Doritos and having the time of their life, right? And they don't care at all that you're upset. They don't care because that's what they do. They, they just like to comment and go. Here he says, we're not having a conversation about this. I did nothing wrong to you. Take your pay and go home. And I love what he says next. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money. Because if I want to pay, if anything, what's he being? He's being generous. He didn't cheat anyone. The landowner did not pay anyone less than he promised he would pay them. And a matter of fact, he was more than gracious and kind and paid the people who probably didn't deserve as much, uh, didn't deserve a denarius, more than they deserved. So if anyone's going to come, and what's the accusation going to be? He's too nice and too generous. If you go to HR and complain about your boss and say to HR, he's being too nice and generous, you know what they're going to tell you? The same thing he told them. Go home. Go home. What are we, what are we here for? I like to file a complaint. Uh, my boss is paying people too much, and he's being too kind to them and being very benevolent and generous. And that complaint just goes right into the shredder. Like, what are we even doing here? I don't have time for this. And that's the landowner's response, isn't it? I don't have time for that. We're, we're harvesting. We're kind of busy right now. And go home. 
Go, go spend time with your family. But I don't know why you're complaining. And yet we as Christians can get caught doing the same thing. I've heard Christians talk about people who maybe make a deathbed confession. They're close to death, and they make the decision finally that you know what? I think Jesus is who he said he is. I think he's Lord and Savior. I want to make him Lord and Savior in my life. And they go, well, that's not fair. That he's going to get to go to heaven someday, and he lived a life that was terrible all the way up until this point. And then he accepted Jesus right before he died, and he's going to be the same place I am. And I think to myself, how terrible do you think your God is? That you don't view serving him as a privilege. What that tells me, and Christians complain about this, is you don't actually want to be a Christian. You just want to get to heaven someday. You don't actually love Jesus. You just want a golden ticket. I know that's hard to hear sometimes, but that's what it is. Is I don't actually believe that Jesus is the best way, that following him is the best way for me to live. I just want to get to, to the special place someday. And so I go through the motions to get to the special place someday. Who cares? Heaven doesn't have a limitation of who can make it and who can't. So if the person confesses right before they die and they're going to be there, shouldn't we be celebrating and rejoicing that one more person might just make it? We shouldn't be kicking rocks and thinking to ourselves, well, gosh darn it, that's not fair. But you know what this parable is about? It's about that. See, we are the whiny, snivelly workers, and God is the landowner. We all get paid the same. The reward, of course, is heaven. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in church your entire life, and you've always known Jesus, or you went down the sex, drugs, and rock and roll route, and came to know him later in life, or if you finally, right before you die, utter that prayer and give Jesus your heart, we're all going to the same place. And that should make us happy. Because God welcomes sinners like you and me. And we all get the same reward, regardless of where we've been or what we've done. And so if you're like me and have grown up in church your entire life, and that's all you've ever known, and you gave your heart to Jesus at vacation Bible school, this is what I did, the same heaven awaits you as the person who has made a mess of everything. And with their last breath of life, ask Jesus, would you forgive me? I don't remember Jesus giving a dissertation for the thief on the cross next to him of saying, well, hang on here. What do you believe? We've got to get our ducks in a row here. What do you believe about the atonement? And, give me, and you better reference Bible verses. What do you believe about free will and salvation? If I remember, right, Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. It turns out that sinners are welcome through the gates of heaven. Because if they weren't, none of us would get to go. I love, it's God speaking. I mean, that's the point here. It's the landowner. Or are you envious because I am generous? And verse 16, so the last will be first 
and the first will be last. And that's literally what he happens. He, he paid the people who came last first, and then the first people got theirs last. And so it doesn't matter when we come to Jesus, as long as we come. If you have 80 years of life spent with Jesus, you know how lucky you are? Why would you ever look down and disdain the person who made a deathbed confession? They didn't get to live with Jesus like you got to. And living with Jesus is an honor and a privilege. You, didn't, you don't carry, you shouldn't, by the way, if you are, quit doing it. You should not be carrying your sin around on your shoulders every day. If you've given your heart to Jesus, and you're making, you've made him Lord and Savior of your life, he takes those away. The burden's been lifted. And so you get to live a life that somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who is literally carrying every bit of baggage around with him, you get to live a life baggage-free. Turns out on the flight to heaven, he doesn't charge for our baggage and our luggage. He carries it for us. He takes it upon himself. This parable is about grace. That's what this parable is about. God's wild and reckless grace. A grace that doesn't make sense. And you know what grace isn't? Grace isn't fair. It's not fair. I do all the bad. Jesus has done all the good. And he credits to me all the good and takes away all my bad. You know what that is? That is not fair at all. Grace has never been and will never be fair. And so when we stomp our feet and ask God to be fair, we better be very careful because we are fortunate that God is not fair. Because if God was fair, we'd all be going somewhere and it's hot. Because that's what my, my life accomplishments have given me. Trouble. But because he isn't fair and yet is good, you and I have the promise of heaven. Not because we're good. Because he is. Just to make sure you heard it. Just one last time. Not because we're good. Because he's good. The work has been done. And now we rest in it. That's what we do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the words of this parable. For we learn that you, in fact, are not fair. That you are you're generous. You're kind. You're benevolent. You're good. That you love us, even though we, we certainly do not deserve it. Or couldn't possibly earn it. And so, Father, we, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your compassion that you give to us every second of every day. Would you help us to just, in, in this moment, allow it to just wash over us? Like the song Lacey sang today, talk to us about. Let us stand on the edge of your grace and allow it to overwhelm us like a wave of the ocean. Help it take root in our heart, God, and help us to believe it with everything we have. 
that broken people are your kind of people. That sinners are welcome in the arms of Jesus. That none of us, not a one of us, wants you to be fair. We're so glad you're not. That your great and overwhelming love is everything that we need. Father, we are so excited for today. The dedication of children and for the baptism that's about to happen, God. What a moment and what a day. Father, we're so grateful for the six people today who have made a decision to be baptized into you. What a moment in their life. What a moment for us to get to be here. And what's happening today, like every day we gather, is, a, is sacred. So help us to, to celebrate this newness of life with them. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. We're thankful most of all for your son Jesus. It's in his powerful and holy name we pray and all God's people say. Amen.